Welcome to MV Talks, a podcast by Maya Vandenberg Lawyers in Canberra. MV Talks is an in-depth look at the legal issues facing individuals, business and government. This is your host, Susan Blaine. Welcome to MV Talks. I'm your host, Susan Blaine, and today I have Wendy Meredith, Special Counsel in our Corporate and Commercial Team, and Yang Tan, Associate in our Corporate and Commercial Team, to talk about changing structures for -for not-for-profits. What a great topic. Wendy, why did we choose it? Because we've noticed that there's a lot of not-for-profits out there that think about doing this and then think, oh, it's all too hard, and they stop. And it's not all too hard. Yes, it is technical and requires a bit of time, but um, it's not too hard. And it's a step that many not-for-profits do need to take as they grow and want to fulfil their purpose in a much broader sphere than just Canberra. That's ringing a few bells for me. I know a lot of not-for-profit committees and I I think, and I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I think some of the thinking goes along the line of we know we want to do it, but it looks and feels too complex. I've Googled it and I just don't even know where to start. Am I on the right track there in terms of the sort of people you're starting to meet when they approach you? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. They've Googled the process, you know, who's this registrar general I've got to write to? Who's this person? Um, I've looked at the ASIC website. There's forms. There are so many forms. I don't know which one. Um, So it does seem overwhelming when you're not used to it. Uh, But in reality, we know which form you use. They're simple to fill out. Um, We can help you do that and make those changes happen. The Registrar General's no one to be scared of. The last time we wrote to him, he got back to us within three hours. So... They are responsive, uh, they have a role. It's not as scary as perhaps people think. Fantastic. Can you, Before we go any further, can you tell me a little bit about your background and why you're speaking to us on, on the podcast today, Wendy? My experience is sort of broadly in the corporate and commercial sphere, so I've always done a little bit in corporate governance and helping um, people choose their correct structure for their business, which is something that's not static. It does change over time. Um, so I've had uh, some work always to do with not-for-profits or um, sort of industry bodies who want to achieve things for their members. Um, so that's, I suppose, my interest. I'd like to introduce Yang Tan, who's in our team. Welcome to MV Talks, Yang. This is your first podcast. Thank you, Susan. Thanks for having me on MV Talks today. You're very welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you come to the table? So as uh, Wendy mentioned, um, I work in the corporate commercial team as well. My specialty is in tax. I, uh, ha- I am a chartered tax advisor and also a chartered accountant, so I bring that expertise to the table as well. I have a particular interest in not-for-profits, and because of my tax background, I um, also work with them in relation to their looking at their tax concessions and being endorsed as being a deductible gift recipient or a DDR. Um, that's usually quite important for a not-for-profit as they want to get donations from the public. Okay, without any further ado, let's get on to the the meat of this podcast. Uh, one of the first questions I've got for you ladies 
is why would you want to change from an incorporated association to a company limited by guarantee? Yang, did you want to kick off with this one? Sure. Thanks, Susan. Um, that's a good question. So you've mentioned there are two different types of structures, an incorporated association, also a company limited by guarantee. Each of those structures have their benefits and also disadvantages. Um, people might want to change from one structure to the other for various for various reasons. And it could be that you know they, are, they may have started off um, being small, uh, operating locally, but now they're expanding, they want to go across the border, they want to um, be more sustainable for the future. They may need to um, you know increase their revenues like um, being a not-for-profit could mean that they the use of income is quite tight or yeah I think one of the important things here is one of the big limitations on being an incorporated association is you're basically stuck behind your state or territory boundaries the whole purpose of an incorporated association is that you are uh, based in whichever particular territory or state you happen to have been incorporated in, whereas a company limited by guarantee is Australia-wide. Um, so I think sustainability is becoming quite a critical issue in this industry where multiple little bodies are finding if they band together, they then have the economies of scale to actually have a good sustainable business. But often that does mean going over state boundaries. Mm. So that's when you start thinking, should we in fact be a company limited by guarantee, so we're no longer worried about only trading within our particular jurisdiction. Okay, so this is a very real and current issue for not-for-profits. Can you give me an insight into a couple of not-for-profits that have done just this very successfully? Yeah, so we did, um, we know I've had a client at the, uh, that worked in the uh, disability sector. They provided disability services. Initially they started um, just providing services within the ACT, but they've now become quite big and they've, um, you know, won government grants to provide similar services um, interstate, so like in Victoria and Queensland. In order for them to do so, to provide those services interstate, they would have to expand to a structure that would allow them to work across the ACT border. Um, There are a few options for that, but, yeah, company limited by guarantee is one of them. One of the considerations, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Case-by-case basis. Yes. Okay. Um, What's the purpose of an incorporated association? So an incorporated association is... Think of it as a, a group of people who come together for um, some common purpose, def- definitely a not-for-profit purpose. So it is more suitable to a, a small community group. So think of your your school PNC or the after-school care association mm-hmm. or a sporting group. Yes. Yeah. So they are the, the types of organisations that would benefit from an incorporated association. Um, but Initially, it might be easier to set up, but as um, I mentioned with that example, if the organisation gets bigger, wants to do more things, some some um, operations would require them to be a company mm-hmm. or it could be that they want to operate across Australia mm-hmm. um, and a company limited by guarantee is one of those options they can go for. Okay, what sort of numbers uh, in staff or volunteers would be triggers to think about changing a structure? Is that too um, ambiguous a question? It's not really so much around that. Um, It's more about where do you want to be 
as you become bigger and you want bigger donations from people, people will start looking at your structure and saying, what's the corporate governance in this structure? If I'm going to make big donations to you or if I'm the government and I'm going to give you a big grant, I want to know that um, your structure is such that you've got governance tools in there that this money is going to be properly managed. And accounted for. And accounted for, exactly. That makes Uh, sense. Yeah. So your company limited by guarantee has a higher level of scrutiny and uh, disclosure with reporting, um, and, and that's an important factor. So it's a precursor to your fundraising success that you've got the right structure and that you set yourself up correctly so that when you go to market and and one of those marketing options is is applying for grants to government, that you set up properly so that yeah. they can say yes to you. Yes. 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 And that's another example. Like if you wanted to provide uh, disability supported accommodation, you need to be a, uh, a registered housing provider and the government requires that you be a company. So if you're an incorporated association, then that is not the right structure for you, right. if, you if that's what you want to do. So yeah. it's a situation where they should come and see you. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Um, what's the purpose of a company limited by guarantee? So one of the... Uh, benefits of being a company limited by guarantee is that it, it is an Australia-wide um, registration. So it's registration um, under the Corporations Act. So it's recognised across Australia, Australia. So it doesn't matter in which state or territory that you're planning to operate in. Who does it suit? What sort of, what sort of um, type of entity? Again, it's not for profit. Right. The whole point of it being limited by guarantees instead of being limited by shares is that it can't return a profit to its members. Mm-hmm. So um, if you look at some of the big health funds, there's only, I think, one that's left as a company limited by a guarantee, and that's HCF, so it doesn't pay a dividend, whereas well, NIB is now a, comp- a normal company, so it does pay a dividend. So that's the difference. Do reporting obligations change as soon as yeah. you change those structures? Uh, yes and no. So um, if you are an incorporated association, you'll be reporting to Access Canberra. That's the regulator for that type of entity. Mm-hmm. But if you were a company limited by guarantee, you'll be regulated by the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, which is ASIC. Mm-hmm. The other thing to consider is if you were a registered charity, which means that then you're registered under the... Uh, with the ACNC, which is Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission, whether you're an incorporated association or a company limited by guarantee, you're still subject to the governance standards of the ACNC. So that part of it won't change. Great, thank you. Uh, What's the difference in liability between a member of a committee of incorporated association and a company limited by guarantee? This is a question we've been asked a few times, actually. The answer is reasonably straightforward, Um, at a, a broad level, and that is that in each case you're considered to be in what we lawyers call a fiduciary relationship. It's a relationship of trust. So whether you're a committee member or a director, you're in a fiduciary relationship with that body. So you have the same duties. What does change, and it doesn't change because of the structure, but the bigger your organisation is, the more money that's in it, the more it's doing the higher the standard that's going to be placed on you. So if you're running a, a small sporting club, primary school football, your obligation is going to be fairly small. But if you're running, um, if you're a director of an incorporated association that's got 200 staff and supplying uh, a number of services across New South Wales, then the standard as a director you're going to be held to is going to be quite a lot higher. But it's based on the size of that organisation, not so much because it's 
this type of organisation or that type of organisation. But it's a relationship of trust. Right. Wendy, what are the alternative structures that an incorporated association can utilise to operate in other states and territories? Other options. You can register as an incorporated association, so you become a registered body in, in, the, each, state in each state and territory. Right. Um, some charities do use a, what we call a federated model where they will have a separate incorporated association in each state and territory. Why do they do that? I've often wondered that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like all you're doing is then having eight sets of books and records that you need to keep, more because that's why the organisation has grown. Mm. Um, some of our charities not-for-profits go back a long, long time mm. um, and... Uh, you know, they'll have got bequests and that sort of stuff from people within their state. People um, would like to leave things to the Cancer Council of New South Wales. So therefore they do keep the associations of that in each place and then maybe have an overarching um, body at the top. But um, when you talk about some of the Royal Blind Society, you know, looking at entities have been around for a long time. Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. Is it easy to change from an incorporated association to a company limited by guarantee? And if so, and I'm a, a board member, what sort of period of time should I be allowing to do such a move? Right, so I'd love to tell you that it's super easy, um, which conceptually it is, but it's just a, it's a process that needs to be followed and um, it's a technical process so you need to know what you're doing along each step along the way. Um, the difficulty of, in the process uh, to change from the structure is that there are you may plan um, that things will go smoothly of course but you know um, obstacles might appear along the way which uh, you know may require some expertise to overcome. Can you give me an example of an obstacle that you may not anticipate at the outset but can be quite detrimental to um, progressing this application? Um, an example of an obstacle, well, the first step in the process to change structures is that you have to get your members to approve um, this change in structure. It could be that um, you, you can't get members' approval or you can't get a quorum to get members' approval. Mm -hmm. So that's a fundamental problem up front that you have to overcome. Right. So just knowing how to generate um, that quorum. A quorum is a, the number of people that you need to have in a meeting in order for the meeting to go ahead and so for that it to be binding on the membership. Yeah, so that's a fundamental starting point issue that, you know, some organisations may encounter first off. Mm. One of the challenges I'd imagine in that regard is that when you're dealing with the not-for-profit sector, um, you're dealing with people where their membership may not be their place of work, their membership um, and their involvement with the not-for-profit might be something they're doing because they're interested in it outside of work, yet they want to be a voting member and participate in that process. So even just getting access to them and getting them to attend an AGM or some sort of an environment where they register their wishes in terms of getting a quorum together can be a challenge in and of itself, even with board members, I'd imagine. Yeah, so with um, community organisations, they're generally volunteer board members. Mm -hmm. um, it's not their day job to be there to run the board. Mm -hmm. um, and 
one of the first questions we always ask the clients when they come in is, who are your members? And because the board members, um, it's, as I said, they're volunteer, they may not be focused on who their membership base is. That usually is a stumbling block first off. They're not aware of who the actual members are. What is the process to change structures and how long will this take? As I said, it's a process. There are certain steps along the way that needs to happen. So broadly, it's a four-step process. Um, as I mentioned, the members need to approve the change. You then need to apply to the Register General um, to approve the change in structure. And then you also need to apply to ASIC for, to register the company limited by guarantee. And then finally, go back to, to the Register General and let them know you've registered the company. So... Um, there are a number of things that need to happen in order to get this process in place. Um, I would, to be safe, I would allow at least four to six months, um, given that you, you are dealing with an external agency, being um, the Register General or Access Canberra um, and ASIC as well. Right. Uh, what are the background steps that need to happen in terms of preparation? required? Yeah, so once the board's decided that they'd like to change the structure, they need to do some preparation to get there. First off, they need to think of, they want they need to decide what is the name of the lim company limited by guarantee, um, what is it to be called? Um, what's it, in a name, Yang? <laughs> what's in a name? Is it important? It is important because um, as the incorporated association, they would have built up a reputation and a brand yes. in the marketplace. Uh, the name for, of an incorporated association may not be on the same register as a company list and business names. So a name that they may be operating under, um, there could be some other organisation which has a similar name or a na uh, which may not allow them to register the same name as a company. So first off, um, they need to find a name. But also it could be an opportunity for that company to rebrand if that's what Ooh. they want to do as well. Secondly, the board will need to consider the constitution for the new entity. So the articles of association for the incorporated association may not be suitable for a company limited by guarantee. So there'll be some amendments that need to be made. It may not be that you just um, incorporate or, sorry, adopt the same terms. You may need to set up a new um, constitution altogether mm. and that would require consideration about uh, how the board operates, who the members are, what class memberships um, they'd like to have. So mm. it could involve some changes that the board needs to decide. Is this where you would work with the board and perhaps challenge what the future use might be and challenge some of those... Um, existing sort of methods of operation to make sure that the way you're setting it up captures their new model? Yes, we often find that the Articles of Association for many incorporated associations, they've had them for years, if not decades. But set and repeat's not always going to be the solution, is it? No, but the world's changed in the last 20 or 30 years. Yes. Um, there's now various requirements, and depending on what sector you're operating in, there are Can various... Can you give me an example, Wendy? Like... Um... A common one? Well, if we use the housing example, I believe there's certain grants for providing low-cost housing that you have to have something in your constitution these days that if you're doing that, that should you ever wind up, those housing assets have to go to another low-cost housing provider. You can't just sell them off or transfer them for some other purpose. And and how would that not have been captured by some more archaic... Um, it just simply won't structures. be in there. Yeah. It just won't be there. No it just reference. won't be there. <laughs> so what happens when... 
there's no solution. There's no no particular instructions in the new uh, setup. You have to change it. So what are we doing now? What are we hoping to do? Um, if it is one of those types of housing grants uh, where you do have that requirement, uh, that term then needs to be in the constitution. But if your constitution is 20 years old, it it's, uh, probably won't even mention doing things, you know, have a board meeting by teleconference or video conference. Now, there's a thought. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so it's just really catching up with... Um, the times. The times to some extent, as well as... And technology. Technology, mm. require A lot of government grants do have strings and it's all about making sure things are being used correctly. But they do want you to put some of those strings in your constitution. So that, But that varies depending on what sector of the not-for-profit industry you're in and, and what services you're providing and where your money's coming from. Do you need members? Yes. How many? At least one member for a public company limited by guarantee. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting what different companies decide to do. Some often will have quite a limited membership and that's because you do then just have key members. What sort of documents do you need to gather together for an ASIC application? Well, there's a few things. We need the old Articles of Association. We need the new directors and the new members to sign consents to act. You need to have uh, copies of the resolution that the members have approved to change in structure. Right. We need the new constitution. Yes. We need the right ASIC form. Yes, that's very important when it is. Yes. <laughs> Why do you laugh? Uh, we have uh, we had an experience last year where somebody decided to do it themselves and they lodged the wrong ASIC form. So instead Aye. of instead of changing from being the one entity that was an incorporated association and simply blossoming into a company limited by guarantee, they actually started a brand new fresh baby company. Oh. Which meant, what does that mean? Well, it means that exactly that. It's an entirely new company. It's not associated. It didn't keep its ABN or its tax file numbers or any of its approvals, its grants, its contracts. What a it's a whole, case it's to, a whole new, to not new thing. DIY. <laughs> yeah, and it was by lodging the wrong ASIC form. <laughs> okay, so this ta- it sounds to me like this takes a board that have some unity about them, that have a vision about where they're going absolutely had some discussions about what that might look like yes because all these questions will be asked in the process and it'll help you as lawyers make sure there's a bespoke fit for the type of entity they're creating and that it will take them into this into the future in an appropriate way yes that's right and the, this usually comes about, I mean, changing the structure comes about because there's some growth, there's some some change that needs to happen within the organisation. Yeah. Um, and then once you've changed structures, the key thing if, in doing it correctly is that you still stay the same entity. So all yes. your history comes along with you when you've changed rather than, yes. as when you said in this other situation, they created a whole brand new entity. So essentially another brand new business was set up to operate alongside That's not the intention of changing structures. So what did they do in that situation? Uh, Well, (laughs) we um, basically we had to start again with the incorporation, with the association, re-lodge their correct documents and then de-register which took six months because there's an advertising period and this sort of thing. There's a process to do. The incorrectly created company. And it had the name, of course, that the people wanted. 
<sighs> so we had to change the name of that other association, oh, or that, sorry, that other see. company, yes. so that they could use the name that they wanted. So, yes, it was um, quite interesting. How long does it take, Yang? Uh, to be safe, I'd allow four to six months. Yeah. So when clients come to us and go, we want it to happen by 1 July, we take a deep breath and then set out. And say 219. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can it, can it happen in a shorter time if they're super prepared? If, They've listened to this podcast. They yeah. have every single document ready. At a minimum, you need to... Um, in order to call us a special meeting of the members, you need to give that 21 days notice for the okay. members. So that's non-negotiable. Mm. You then also need to factor in um, Access Canberra or the Register General to approve. And then ASIC also need to register as well. So there are external agencies. We can't um, we can't predict how they'll uh, respond. You can't pull a few strings. You've been doing <laughs> this a long time. Um, you could get lucky uh, if we have... Uh, all the documents ready in advance mm. and it's all prepared, then they could just, you know, hopefully it's just tick the box and it's through. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I think at, lo- at least two months. About, I think we have done some in two months, but it really yeah. depends. Uh, often associations do want to take a bit of time over the constitution, mm. with a new constitution coming in. It goes around all the different board members and, and other people who've got a vested interest. So you do find that even crafting the constitution takes a little while because it is being done by committee. Yes. It's not just one person saying this is what we want. Mm. Um, and it's important. It is important. So future. people want to get it right. It is the future. So uh, there tends to be a lot of talk, I suppose, a lot of toing and froing, um, and just making sure everything is right. Uh, we have done it in two months. Um, certainly the Registrar General of recent has been getting back to us within the same day, which is... <laughs> I don't very know surprising. Very surprising. But <laughs> um, yeah. Well, but that's wonderful. I mean, that, that means that everything they required was there and ready. Yes. And, and I guess that's one of the beauties of, yeah. um, uh, you know, working with a trusted advisor when you yeah. go through this process because I guess conversely that the alternative is that it's rejected on some basis where things are incomplete or incorrect and and, and that, that has, delays you further. Yeah, that has happened. Um, we've had another client who uh, didn't quite provide everything at the time we lodged documents for the registration with ASIC. So ASIC would write back and go, you're missing this, this and this. Yeah, and the, I just wanted to sort of mention that with the constitution as well, if the organisation has registrations with other bodies, you don't want to make too many changes to the objects, for example, that would inadvertently um, make you not no longer eligible for those registrations. Sure. And they could be really important to your business. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Wendy, is it a new entity? No. After transfer? No. That's okay. the whole point of using the right form. It's the same entity. It's just a new structure. You keep your TFN. You keep your ABN. You don't have to move staff around. You don't have to um, uh, sign new contracts or sign new grants. Um, you're the same entity. Mm. All you're doing, is, all you've done, is change your structure. What happens to registrations? Your old uh, once ASIC have registered your company, they'll mm-hmm. send you a nice little certificate with your new ABN, your brand new bouncing company. Um, you then need to update your details with your, uh, you know, your bank, uh, the government, anyone else that you have regular dealings with, so that they know that you're 
the new entity. Does the tax file number stay the same? Tax file number stays the same, right. um, but the bank will need to know it. You're now such and such LTD, mm-hmm. rather than whatever How it was. Inc. Yes, yeah, yeah. so they need to change the names. That kind of thing. You've got an ACN now instead of an association's number. That's really it, isn't it? Yeah, so the ABN register, the ATO, your bank. If you're a registered charity, then you also need to let the ACNC know no, as well. Yes. Um, yeah, and of course you need to let Access Canberra know so they can deregister your incorporated yes. association. so that, that will basically goes poof, it disappears. Well, I imagine um, registering and... and um, Changing the status of an organisation um, to help future proof it is an exciting time for boards. Um, it it w- must be a great time to be a volunteer or, or even a paid board member contributing um, to a charity at a time when they're making such important changes. If people are thinking about doing something like this and they can see it's in their foreseeable future, What's the best time that they should start engaging with a with a law firm to ensure success? I imagine prior preparation and planning is at the, the key. beginning, Re- right at the very beginning. Right at the beginning. And what is the beginning? The beginning is to sit down, talk about it. Why are you doing this? What do we need to do? The first things we need to do is look at your existing constitution or articles of association to work out how we're going to get the resolutions passed, which is the first step. So really right at the beginning, the constitution will take a little while to draft. Um, that can be going on in parallel while you're uh, working with the members. Fantastic. Thank you for your time today, ladies, and I hope you get a lot of not-for-profits contacting you for some further information and partnering with you on your on their journey to, uh, to changing their structure. Thanks, Susan. Thank you. This podcast was produced in May 2018. I'm Susan Blaine and thanks for listening to MV Talks. For more MV podcasts, check out the page on SoundCloud or download our podcast from iTunes.